Hey folks, it's Bill here. A couple things I wanted to cover. First, thank you very much for listening to the 200th episode of So Many Bits. I, I started doing this four years ago, and I can't really believe that I've come this far with it. I, I just This was a thing I wanted to do in my free time where I talked about video games with my, with my friends, and, and it's gone in directions I couldn't really imagine. And one of those is something that I am excited to talk about today for the first time. I'm launching a Patreon, patreon.com slash so many bits for uh, giving a small pledge to the podcast. You're able to access some extra features. You can get notes that I take on the episodes prior to recording with the interview guests or on the screen watching segments. You can get early access to episodes starting next week where they'll drop one week early through the Patreon feed and a couple other benefits that I'll leave to you to check out. So I really hope you'll give that uh, consideration. If not, you know, thank you very much anyway for listening. And now on to the episode. Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and joining me from this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Cliff Murphy. Cliff, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Bill. Thanks for having me again. It's been a, a couple weeks, I think, since we've had you last on, so uh, I just, you know, good to get you back in the rotation. Uh, <laughs> things haven't changed too much uh, since you were last on. Okay, cool. So we'll uh, do more of the same. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk about one game really intensely, go deep into it for about 45 minutes. At, at a certain point, I'll admit that I only played like three or four hours of it, and like I just looked up the rest on YouTube. Okay. All right. Uh, that works for me. Then I won't feel too bad knowing that I also did the exact same thing and played for a few minutes and then looked up everything on YouTube. <laughs> so for any uh, new listeners, uh, just uh, Cliff and I were the original two hosts. Uh, we had this format where we would t- take a look at one game or one game franchise and kind of like break it down comedically talk about like the different plot elements characters stuff like that and uh, cliff was kind enough to do that with me for about i think like 45 episodes something like that i don't remember the exact number and i think at that point we just kind of ran out of games that we'd either already played or ran out of time to like play new games to invest more uh material at that point we uh we shifted we shifted the podcast i talked a bit more with uh people local to me here in Chicago. But Cliff, thank you so much for coming back on because this is episode number 200 of the podcast. Episode number 200. I I applaud you. Congratulations, Bill. Thank you. Thank you so much. As a, as a Professor Farnsworth uh, said on Futurama one time, I deserve this. <laughs> you absolutely do. <laughs> uh, so Cliff, I, you know, uh, I think we talked a little bit beforehand, but uh Later on in this episode, I'm going to be having an interview going on with uh, Harris Foster over at Finji. Uh, Finji is the developer slash publisher behind a few different titles, uh, such as uh, Cannabalt. They're working on Overland, and you may best know them for Night in the Woods. Of the ones that you said, the one that I know them the best for is Cannabalt. I have that on my phone right now. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That was, I think, the very first title they worked on, and it's kind of like a mobile uh, classic, as much as there are any mobile games that have made it to classic status at this point. Yeah, when you talk to him, uh, do me a favor and ask him if it's possible to get past the first 10 seconds or so of that game, uh, because I find it very <laughs> challenging. <laughs> 
I, I'll bring that up for sure. Yeah, see if they say it might be a bug. I don't know if they uh, have checked that game, uh, but uh, yeah, something to fix. That's maybe the secret is there's only like 15 seconds of actual gameplay, and they had to <laughs> make it really, really hard to make it last. Yeah, they did the Nintendo thing, right? <laughs> so yeah, later on, uh, Harris and I will be chatting, but first, Cliff. You and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you? Ooh, yes, let's watch that screen. And for this uh, episode, we're going to be talking about, you know, I have to admit, I had never seen this series before uh, watching as research. We're going to be talking about Black Mirror. Oh, it is so thrilling. I'm so excited for you because hopefully you've enjoyed this episode and you want to watch the rest of the series because there's just so many great things throughout. Um, when I say great, I largely mean horrifying, uh, but uh, it's a fantastic series. But yeah, Black Mirror, and we watched Playtest specifically, the second episode of the third season. That's right. Yes, Playtest, season three, episode two, original air date, October 21st. 2016 and yeah i don't know exactly what i was expecting coming into this but uh this uh we'll say this ruffled my jimmies <laughs> yeah i was uh reading some of the wikipedia pages and uh uh charlie brooker uh normally has some message that he wants to include in the show you know something saying something about the the dangers of technology and some reason or another i don't know whatever he wants to say but uh for this episode in particular he just wanted to make it super scary <laughs> and so he put in as many jimmy rustling moments as he possibly could i think relevant to the uh setup for this episode um mr brooker and uh his uh co-staff on the show they have a background in video games right as far as I can tell, I think it. Uh, I only knew that it was him in some way. Um, but if the staff also has a history in it, then I guess that would certainly that would make sense given what happens in the episode. Uh, well, yeah, Mister uh, Charlie Brooker, he was a game reviewer right before he started working in like in the uh, TV industry. I do remember seeing in the episode. There's one shot of uh, one of the characters, Sonya, her, her apartment, and she's got a whole bunch of games that are sitting on the shelf. And uh, from what I gathered from the Wikipedia page on the episode, uh, the games that are on there are all games that I guess he must have reviewed early on in his career, uh, which is pretty neat. It is a bizarre collection of games outside of that, though, because there are a bunch of big hits on there, like Metal Gear Solid's in there, Heavy Rain, Dark Souls 2, like all of these big, huge games. And then there's also the Lego Movie video game in there. And I thought that that was <laughs> just a real strange game. So maybe it's best if we kind of like go through the episode as the plot unravels and then we can stop and talk about things that interested us along the way. Okay, so um, at the beginning, it shows this uh, young guy with uh, blonde hair and a beard, and uh, he leaves home and starts going on this worldwide uh, trip, and it shows him going to a whole bunch of different places. I think he's shown in Egypt, he's shown in England. I think he finally ends up in England at the end there. He's looking around, and 
kind of seeing what's going on, he notices there's another couple, and then he, I guess he gets kind of lonely on the trip, and he starts using uh, one of those uh, swipe left, swipe right uh, apps, the Tinder sort of uh, clones, <laughs> the the, uh, the non-specific uh, Tinder-esque app that they've got in the Black Mirror universe, and uh, he ends up... Yeah, it just it resembles a dating app, but like it seems like very specifically they chose not to exactly parody one, like... He's swiping back and forth, but he's not like matching with anyone that way. He's like looking at like kind of shopping through the different photos that way. It felt like that was a conscientious choice on their part. Probably is. I don't know how much those uh, how much that technology of going to the right, going to the left. That's eh, not really technology. What would you call that? Software, I guess. I don't know how much that's patented. Anyway, he uh, he ends up meeting up. Uh, this this character's name is Cooper, by the way. Uh, Cooper ends up meeting up with a woman named Sonia at a bar, and uh, they hit it off pretty well. And he's talking to her, and things go the way that you might expect they would in a television show. And um, the next day, they're in her apartment, and uh, he sort of makes some observations about how she's a gamer and she's got games around and these sorts of things. And then they kind of they separate. They go their uh, they go their separate ways. Um, and I guess a little while later, Cooper tries to get some money out from an ATM and, uh, discovers that, uh, his card's been compromised and, uh, he doesn't have any money. He doesn't know what to do. So, uh, instead of calling his mom for, uh, support or advice or whatever, which he briefly considers, he ends up calling Sonia again and meeting her back at her apartment. Um, I should mention at this point too, that it's an ongoing thing that, uh, Cooper seems to have some sort of issue, uh, with his mom. It's mentioned in the show that his father passed away from Alzheimer's and he doesn't know how to talk to his mom or connect with his mom uh, in some way or another. Long story short, uh, he doesn't want to be around his mom or talk to his mom in one reason or another. So he avoids calling her uh, throughout the show, which ends up being sort of a recurring theme of uh, calling mom. My my first read on that was that uh, Cooper was uh, BSing, that he didn't. I, I didn't realize like that actually his father had passed. I thought he was making up a reason to give himself sympathy because like Sonia at one point notices the call from his mom and she's like, "You're not going to answer that." And he's like, at first he's just like, "Oh, I, I, he, my mom is like looking, she's alone, she's lonely, but also I'm feeling bad too." So I, I, th- I thought he was like trying to uh, uh, shield yeah. himself. A yeah, little. I could see that. Yeah, he's just trying to get uh, sympathy or something from just. Uh random call from his mom yeah i, I could have seen that but yeah uh, so maybe maybe I'll, I'll pick up there so like uh cooper he ends up having to crawl back to sonya because he has no one else he knows in england and he just needs a place to crash until he can get enough money together to get out of there and that's where he's not again this is a thing where it's like they are avoiding naming the app but it looked a lot like or sounded a lot like fiverr uh, which is this uh, odd job app. Yeah, an app just to do random things around the city for different people. Exactly, yeah. And Sonia calls out that they're like, oh, there's this uh, ad here for the company Saitogemo, and they are uh, looking for thrill seekers to come test their new uh, software. Here's an interesting thing about that, because 
the whole series Black Mirror has a whole bunch of little connections to it. Um, if you haven't watched any of the other episodes, uh, from what you told me earlier, uh, you started watching the Bandersnatch one and then realized partway through that that was the wrong episode. I, I just kind of checked out when I saw you were like, let's watch the Black Mirror. Because like, just uh, so for people behind the scenes, I have a Google Doc of like TV shows that have like gaming episodes. And I forgot that there was bandersnatch and a separate listing for black mirror so i started watching bandersnatch for like an hour and then i looked back at our dms and i was like oh oh i'm watching the wrong thing (laughs) and that's of all the ones to pick too because that's the one with all the like branching choices and you can like go back and watch things in different ways that's that's a big commitment to make accidentally oh yeah yeah good news i'm I'm ready for when another guest wants to talk about it (laughs) but in Black Mirror and all these different episodes, um, they all take place in completely separate uh, worlds or time periods, whatever you want to say. Some of them are very close to modern day. Um, some of them are set in the distant future. Um, but there's a bunch of different ideas that you see sort of uh, recurring in different things. Um, there's this one concept of uh, it's introduced in the Christmas episode, the fourth episode of the second season. It's this concept of a cookie when you basically take a copy of somebody's personality and put it into something electronic somewhere. And you see that idea of the cookie coming up a bunch of different times, not necessarily using the same language, but the same idea is there uh, in a bunch of different episodes. And uh, as a neat connection, uh, this game company, Saito Gamu, they also apparently uh, make the game that is the focus of the first episode of the most recent season, uh, Strike vipers which is like an immersive uh vr fighting game um but apparently it's made by the same company uh which is an interesting thing are they piloting this immersive vr haptic feedback technology in uh play test and that's the same sort of technology that they use later on for striking vipers so it's a neat little connection between the episodes there that's really neat that they've got these like standalone stories but also like there is a little bit of lore there Mm -hmm. to uh connect threads between them i like that that that's pretty it's uh it's neat little things uh they got this um the black mirror logo i guess it kind of looks like a little like an upside down y um it kind of looks like a little space invader or something like that it's a pixelated little thing it was a logo (laughs) you know what i'm talking about well there's Um, a, a A point, yeah, in Bandersnatch where it shows up in a very unexpected way. (laughs) Yeah, that so that that little symbol uh, is in a whole bunch of different episodes. And interestingly enough, in this episode, uh, if you remember when Cooper uh, does the first trial of the game, uh, folks at home, we're we're skipping all over the place in terms of plot here, by the way. Um, okay, uh, just to fill you in, Cooper ends up going onto the app. He finds this place, Saitu Gameu, and he ends up going there, uh, and he's going to test out some new game technology, right? And it's this uh, immersive VR stuff. Is that good? Did I catch people up? I think I caught them up now. Yeah, I think you did. And Sonya also mentions that, like, hey, if you can get a photo of something there, that could be worth a lot of money. So he goes in and he's going to uh, test out this game. And the first thing that they have him do is uh, this game. They put these uh, circular, they look like QR codes that are down uh, on the table in front of him. And they install this little mushroom looking thing in the back of his neck. And I guess that's supposed to be the the piece of hardware that's going to... uh, 
show him all of this VR stuff, right? I guess it's going to connect to his nervous system and show all this stuff that he's supposed to see. Uh, on those little QR codes, though, uh, <laughs> it's so much exposition for this little tiny thing I saw. On these QR codes, it's got that same uh, symbol, that little upside down Y. It's on there, too. So he's playing this game. And uh, it, it basically, it's like this whack-a-mole thing, and uh, he can see it all because it's being projected inside of his head, but the, the woman uh, running it for him, her name's Erica, she can't see any of it because she doesn't have the, the mushroom in the back of her head there. Which is a weird sentence to say out of context, but anyway, so he's, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's playing this game whack-a-mole sort of thing and it's all good he likes it and uh she suggests that he tests out this like beta version that they're thing this this more advanced version of the software that they're working on which uh he adamantly says yeah absolutely let's do it right yeah he's gung-ho to uh keep going and they bail out of that room mm-hmm. they go to a home and he he recognizes the house it's from a game he's played as a kid yeah, it's the game that the company is uh, well known for. I think it's called Harlem, not Harlem, Harlick Shadow or something like that. Um, I'm also going to correct myself previously. The woman's name is not Erica, it's Katie, which I have written down in this Google document and I ignored what I wrote. <laughs> she looks like an Erica. Yeah, I can see it. it's got an E, it's got a K. We're, we're halfway there. She takes him out to this Harlick Shadow thing and uh, this Harlick Shadow mansion and basically says that it's going to be this immersive horror game experience, uh, which is going to respond to his uh, fears and the stuff that he's experiencing. And it's going to create a horror game that's personalized immediately to him. So it's going to read his feelings and thoughts and create this game, this experience uh which is entirely unique to him i think you you, i think you see where yeah things start going bad although it's interesting that like you might be listening and wondering so when do things start going bad because if you are watching this episode we're at about the halfway point Mm -hmm. of the entire runtime of the episode which you can see on netflix it's like you know a 43 minute total runtime we're at like minute 20 and uh, so far, Cooper has hooked up with a woman and gotten an odd job testing a video game. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Cooper's having a bad day particularly. No, not not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet, nope. <laughs> you know, he starts out, uh, he's got the the mushroom in the back of his head and he's got <laughs> she, an earpiece she she says when she gives it to him initially she shows it to him she's like we call this a mushroom and he's like like mario brothers <laughs> and i'm like and when he said that i'm like it, we get it he plays video games <laughs> like <laughs> it's a mushroom like mario brothers or like a regular mushroom and i don't know that even i would necessarily associate with mario brothers a mushroom that causes me to alter my perception of reality (laughs) right like you could make any other more logical jumps like mario brothers mushroom is probably going to be far down the list uh so he he does have the the mushroom in the back of his head and he's got an earpiece uh so katie can continue to communicate with him while he's experiencing the game and at first he's chilling out maxing and relaxing all cool uh but then a couple of guys from his neighborhood uh, show up and cause him trouble and one of them is just like you know plain old spider plain old it's just uh, a spider that's the first thing that he sees spider. 
There's a couple of moments earlier in the episode. I think uh, when he, when Cooper first gets into the into Saito Gamu, there's like a guy who walks by with a big spider on his shirt. There's a couple. I think there's another instance when there's like a spider that's shown in some way or another. There's a couple of other like allusions to spiders before he actually encounters this first spider. <laughs> and he's not too bothered by that, although it does kind of get under his skin when it gets really close to him. But then mm-hmm. we get like, I think the first big jump scare where he runs into his former childhood bully, Josh Peters, who was he a goth or was that like a horror version of Josh Peters? Yeah. It's a, I guess it's like a horror version. I feel like there was a, um, maybe a poster on the wall or somebody was working on something like a, like 3d modeling software or something like that. And they had a similar looking guy, like with the, with the cloak and the dark black greasy hair and the hat and that sort of stuff they, I I feel like I remember it earlier in the episode now that he's in the game he sees that guy and he's put his own fears into it as well so he's got his fear of spiders which is in there and then he's got his fear of this childhood bully that he had in there who's now sort of merged together with the software and this is kind of where you start to see the rest of the software taking him. So the it's it, the whole point of it is that it's trying to create a horror experience that's unique to him. And so they're starting to blend their own things with his fears specifically. And you really start to see this in this creepy guy who looks like his bully. Well, we we can yeah. I, th- I think we I think we get it though. I think that's it's starting to become more personal as it gets to as time progresses and like the (laughs) the next step obviously is after a spider and after josh peters is a josh peters spider (laughs) yeah mashing them together that is the next logical progressive step and like even at this point you can see that like cooper is still he's unnerved but it's still like within his expectations or think of what like a scary experience would be so He's not completely, he's still like, okay, well, this is pretty weird, but. He's still curious. Like he gets right up next to this giant spider that he sees and he's kind of looking at it and checking it out. It's still kind of weird. Uh, he's initially put off by it, but then he's checking it out and he's not entirely put off by it. I got a quote directly from the episode. It's a spider with a huge face and dicks coming out of its mouth. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's how I would describe it, I guess. <laughs> that, well, the next thing that happens, that spider, I guess, he leaves and there's a knock at the door suddenly. And who should show up in the mansion but Sonya, the woman that he uh, had spent the night with and who suggested that he check out this gaming company for this work here. And uh, she's super insistent that he get out of there. Like it's bad. They're testing out all sorts of new dangerous technology and stuff. And he's in danger. And initially Cooper's very skeptical of all of this. He thinks that it's something that the game is putting together um, and she's not real until Sonya actually ends up touching him or interacting with him which i should mention the developers of the game said wasn't possible they said nothing's going to be able to harm you or come in contact with you uh but sonya does it at this point and now he suddenly thinks oh crap she must be real she must be here because like you you as the viewer feel like you can see where 
this is going where Cooper is in disbelief, but it's like, okay, we accept that Sonya is real because we've already, we know the rules. Sonya would be, if she wasn't real, she he wouldn't be able to bump into her. And then <laughs> she uh, Cooper starts poking holes in the explanation for why Sonya is even there. And he's like thinking that it's just like going to be another illusion. But then... Uh, Sonya picks up a knife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all of a sudden she goes from being concerned and caring and her initial concept of I'm here to get you out. Uh, that doesn't seem to be working. And then it shifts and she picks up a knife and now she's there to hurt him. And she starts swinging a knife at him. With... And it's a really grisly fight too. I... Like, yeah. jeez. Oh, yeah. So, uh, uh, just uh, as a, I suppose, a gore warning here, the knife ends up uh, going through uh, Cooper's shoulder. Uh, she stabs him in the back, and then he falls on the ground on his back, and she pushes him down, and the knife gets pushed further into his shoulder. And if, right? <laughs> and if that wasn't bad enough, what happens then is uh, Sonya's face, I guess, kind of glitches out or whatever, and just becomes sort of this, like, skull with like blood and viscera on it and cooper's screaming the entire time and he's trying to grab he's just, it up. yes <laughs> but yeah right I, I don't know if i needed to clarify that it's not like cooper's totally fine with all of this no he's he's quite concerned uh he ends up pulling uh this person whatever this is the head down onto the knife and uh, uh kills whatever it is uh, only to discover immediately afterwards that it was all a simulation. He kind of like blinks and then like he looks back and his wound isn't there. His clothes are, aren't disturbed. Sonya is completely gone. And he try, he gets back in touch with Katie who had been out of communication for a little bit there. They, they lost contact. And then she comes back in and it's starting to like unravel for Cooper at this point where he's just like, he wants to get out and he needs the experiment to end now. Yeah, uh, they had previously established like a safe word. You know, you say a word and we'll we'll stop the whole thing. And he appropriately suggests the word stop. <laughs> so uh, Katie says, OK, yep, we'll end it. But all you got to do is you got to go up the stairs and you got to get to the door at the top. It's the only way to get out of there. And he starts losing his mind at this point. Yeah, uh, there's a pretty great moment where they have him walk up the stairs and as a very overt reference, they say, would you kindly open the door? Yeah, which is, a, for people who aren't familiar, a reference to uh, the Bioshock game, the original Bioshock, where your character is kind of led around by being told, would you kindly do this thing? It's not too bad. Like, I, it makes sense in the context. It doesn't seem uh, forced. Uh, but at the same time, since I know where it's coming from, I'm like, okay, that's, I get, I get it. But it, it does seem a little forced at the same time, especially cause she's like, she's like, just open the door, open the door. Would you kindly open the door? And it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he opens the door. Uh, there's a big, uh, freak out. Uh, he gets into the room. Uh, he starts looking in this mirror, realizes he doesn't know who he is, where he is, what's going on. Uh, Katie and uh, Sho Saito, the, uh, I guess the, the lead developer behind the studio, uh, they come out and they try and help him out and they end up getting him out of there. But uh, it's just 
it was a super, super intense experience for him. And uh, they apologized profusely, saying that it was far more intense than they realized it would be, and they didn't mean for it to get that far. Um, and they uh, they send him on his way. They put him in a car, and he uh, he leaves the mansion. Yeah, and like it had ratcheted up, I think, to fears maybe he hadn't even realized himself because the final torture for him is that he loses all of his memories mm-hmm. and it seems like that was an unresolved psychosis or stress that he had not himself put together and maybe he had after after the traumatic experience because uh he basically gets out of the office and goes right home <laughs> yep and goes to talk to his mom yeah and then as if we weren't uh, revealing everything about the episode already. Um, <laughs> if you if you've, you've been listening to all of this so far and you're like, okay, I'm cool with all of this, but as long as they don't spoil the last couple of minutes, I'll be fine. Then, yeah. <laughs> uh, so he gets home and uh, he starts talking to his mom, and uh, she doesn't realize that he's there, and she picks up the phone and she's like, I gotta call Cooper, call Cooper, and uh, he says like mom mom and then it cuts back to the room where he was originally playing the uh, whack-a-mole gopher game with the qr codes and he had been there the whole time they had just put the uh, mushroom in the back of his neck and then his phone went off he was receiving a call from his mom but i guess the interference from his phone or rather the phone caused interference with the game and it basically fried him uh, like just sent him haywire and so he just starts saying mom 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 and has a seizure and basically dies as a result of that so all this stuff that he experienced was just in a fraction of a second since he got that mushroom uh put into the back of his neck and the phone was dialing because uh katie had tried to take the phone away from him confiscate it but cooper uh kind of grabbed it back when there was a second where katie was distracted so he could take a photo of the AR set to send to Sonia because she had asked for a photo of it and like in the hurry to like get back. And so he, Katie didn't realize what he'd done. He just kind of threw the phone back on the desk, didn't turn it back off. The final, I guess the final shot of it shows Saito comes in and says like, Hey, what happened there? And she's, and uh, Katie says, well, I don't know. The phone went off and must've caused some interference. And uh, Saito says, okay, well, uh, did he say anything? And, Katie says, yeah, he uh, he kept saying mom. And then uh, he was like, oh, that's weird. Make a note of that. And then the last thing that you see is Katie typing information into it and saying like the duration of the, uh, the trial was a fraction of a second and uh, cause of death was uh, phone interference. And then under special notes, <laughs> she writes called mom and <laughs> quotations i think <laughs> and i i just thought it was such a weird way to write that down like you're not gonna you're not gonna write like said mom or you know he 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 said mom over and over he wrote she wrote down called mom but uh it's a weird way to write it but it brings it all nice and uh nice and together is what i'm trying to say it feels like the the resolution to a goosebumps book is what it makes me think of. <laughs> yeah, sure. Just a real, uh, just a real silly over the top ending. Is that what you're saying? The the horror was so intense and so visceral, and then it's like da 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 da. Yep, that's it. I do that's need to it. call out one other thing too that 
Cooper always says mom, mm-hmm. but in the subtitles, it always says mum. It does say mum, doesn't it? All the British, all the British characters are saying mum. He's saying mom. The subtitles say mum. His phone says mom. I don't get it. It's <laughs> horribly inconsistent. I don't know whether it's mom or mum. What are we as the viewers supposed to do here? It is a United States citizen stereotype. That's what it is right there. <laughs> you all say mom. <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. I, I like this episode. I mean, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find an episode of that show that I don't like because they're all so different. And But I like that episode. It's just a nice... It's not a nice experience, I guess. But uh, it's it's just a well-told story. And uh, the fact that uh, video games and being a gamer is just so integral to the plot is uh is pretty neat it's not like a thrown off like one-off sort of thing uh oh there's one shot where a couple of characters are playing video games no uh, cooper's in this situation because he is a gamer and it was really only him that would be in the situation that's it's it's neat that uh that's that's the crux that's what makes the plot go forward is that because he is a gamer all this stuff happens to him so cliff with all of these different uh TV shows or movies that we review here on screen watching, we use three specific criteria to judge them. Okay. And, you know, it's a very uh, rigorous process. And just like as though we were reviewing a video game, uh, we always go off of the scale from six to 10, uh, just as any (laughs) video game would operate. Yep, absolutely. Six is the absolute lowest that game can score, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the first criteria is accuracy. Uh, so if you found the uh, video games portrayed in Black Mirror's playtest completely inaccurate, give this a 6. If you found them lifelike accurate, give it a 10. There's a couple of different, I mean, there's a couple of different situations where you see him uh, playing games. And some of them are accurate, and some of them are not accurate. I'm going to say a 7. And the reason I'm saying a seven is because you see Cooper playing a little like handheld game earlier, and that looks like it's a game. He plays that gopher thing, and uh, you know what you're supposed to do there. But when he gets into the house, is it a game? Like, is he supposed to be trying to accomplish something? Is it just a, like, immersive VR situation? I don't know. So that's why I give it a seven out of ten. I think I'm going to have to go with a a seven as well. I I think it was neat that they put in like actual video game titles into Sonya's apartment and they had a couple video game references explicitly to existing titles but I just maybe AR technology has gone to an advanced level that I haven't seen yet but I don't think it's possible to do anything even with the the gopher game like that seems pretty amazing right there (laughs) that does seem that does seem pretty amazing um I I remember the first time I was using just the 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 uh, QR cards that come bundled with the Nintendo 3DS and like putting that down on the table and you sh- show the camera on there and oh my god there's like a piranha plant or something I'm like that's amazing but it wasn't implanted in my neck so I think that's the <laughs> important difference there all right next up is condescension so mm. if you found this episode to be not condescending to gamers or gaming at all give it a six. Hmm. If you found it to be extremely condescending towards gamers or gaming, give it a 10. 
I'm going to give it a 7 as well, because I don't think that it was particularly condescending. There were uh, there were a couple of things, like the, it's a mushroom, like Mario Brothers. I thought that that was a little, <laughs> that was a little weird. <laughs> but there were a couple other, like the nods, like the would you kindly. Um, we didn't mention as well that um, uh, you can see on the screen that uh, Cooper's last name is uh, Redfield, uh, which I think is apparently a reference to uh, Resident Evil. And uh, that's another thing that you may not have caught unless you're familiar with those games. Uh, so I don't think it's particularly condescending. They're not hitting you over the head with it. Um, but I will uh, subtract uh, points uh, or add points a little bit, I guess, in terms of condescension just for that mushroom reference. <laughs> yeah, I maybe should have thought out the condescension thing differently because it's kind of opposite of what you would expect in terms of the scoring. Yeah, as soon as you said it, I thought that, but I was like, no, nah, it's his scale. I'll go with it. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go with a, a six because I feel like uh, they they portray uh, the studio, the game studio, mm -hmm. and like this woman who writes for the tech journal is just like, that's a normal thing that people do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's never like Cooper never questions it. There's never like any real time spent to be like, I mean, they explain the AR video game, but it's never like people make money selling video games <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah, that's that's true. It's all no one is ever like that. This is a well-respected studio. They want to get in there and see what they're working on. Uh, everybody understands what they're doing and who they are. Uh, yeah, not once are people saying anything condescending about it or dismissive either. And then lastly, uh, we have entertainment. So just if you found this Black Mirror episode to be completely unentertaining, give it a six. If you found it to be extremely entertaining, give it a ten. Uh, I'm going to give it a I'm going to give it a ten. I think it I think it's super entertaining. That's part of the pull of all these Black Mirror episodes is that they they do such a good job of uh, setting up the world and explaining things to you without being really overt. Um, they do a real good job about telling you the story just by showing it to you instead of just explicitly saying it. Um, all the, all the Black Mirror episodes are just really super, super well done. Uh, I'm sure I might get a little bit of hate from, uh, people saying, well, some episodes are better than others. And I agree on that, but I think overall they're fantastic. So I'm, I'm definitely going to give it a 10 for entertaining. I'm going to give it a nine. I, I found it very well made and, uh, as far as horror goes, very effective all up to the very, very last second. I, I did think that was a little cheesy. Uh, just <laughs> as a personal bias, uh, that's maybe I, it's hard for me to watch. Like, it's just <laughs> not something I'm really planning to sit down and watch normally is a, is a horror film or a, a long horror TV episode. So sure. I can admire the how good it is at what it does, but it's for me, I, I'm not objective about it. I, I, I got to be subjective. Sure. Fair enough. I do not disagree with your assessment. <laughs> well, and then in that case, I think that brings our screen watching segment to a close. Uh, Cliff, we're going to go on a quick break here. And when we come back, I'll be talking with Harris Foster over at Finji. We're back from break. Uh, joining me on this palatial VoIP line uh, for the second time now uh, is Harris Foster. 
Harris is a, the community manager over at Finji. Uh, Finji is currently in progress on Overland, Tunic, and Wilmot's Warehouse. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. So, the, you know, the last time you were on, uh, it was you, Adam, and I talking. We talked a bit about uh, like the studio's history and Overland and its development. This time I was hoping to talk about uh, like the past year because it's been about a year since you were last on. And just like I think a lot has changed in the uh, gaming industry for independent games and just uh, get to know you a little bit better as well. Sweet. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan to me for sure. We did cover it a bit in our previous episode. So uh, by all means, listeners, uh, go and check that out. But if you could give like a, a quick like elevator pitch about Overland, what it's about, I think that would help people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Overland is a turn-based survival strategy game that takes place at the end of the world uh, in America. Uh, You play as these randomly generated survivors who are tasked with uh, starting on the east coast of the country and journeying to the west coast uh, via these, like, beat-up jalopy cars uh, that they come across. Uh, And every level is this, like, procedurally generated little diorama uh, where you your goal is you come in via your car, you explore outwards from your car, you gather resources such as you know weapons and med kits, but most importantly gasoline, uh, and then you get back to your car, fill it up with gasoline, and you're off to the next place. Um, and really, like the biggest biggest staple of Overland is the choices that you have to make. So a lot of the encounters will. Uh, involve perhaps sacrificing uh, one of your player characters so that the others may live, or uh, in between levels, you're tasked with choosing uh, your next stop. So it could be, uh, oh, there's a a survivor that we can hear crying for help in this direction, whereas we also need medical supplies for the people we already have. So do we head down to another location to get those supplies? Uh, So yeah, it's a huge game about choice and survival, and uh, we're actually coming real close to launch which will be in the fall that's super exciting and i know at the time i think some of where it was going to end up in terms of platforms was tbd Uh, but since that time we found out that it will be out on the nintendo switch out on pc and also out on uh, apple arcade it's gonna be on everything uh it's gonna be on yeah switch pc mac uh, it's going to be on PS4. It's going to be on Xbox One. Um, and yeah, Apple Arcade too. We're we're super stoked to be part of like the pioneering class of uh, of Apple Arcade. One of the first, uh, first games to be available on that platform. Uh, and yeah, we are super, super pumped to, uh, to have it on there. You know, between uh, Apple Arcade and like Stadia and then uh, other like streaming services like Game Pass... Uh, and then even alongside conventional uh, digital and physical retail, it feels like for independent games, there's more opportunities now than ever before to get your game out into the world. Yeah, definitely. It's like, it's it's so cool to, you know, go to conventions where you see your friends who are indie game developers, and every one of them is talking about how excited they are to be working with X partner. You know, like every every single person... Every time I see somebody who I'm, you know, great friends with, they're excited that they're working with this, like, new company who just joined in, or this company who's, you know, been ambivalent on indie games and now is, like, super into indie games. We, it's, it's, it's such a terrific time to be making these games because there's so much new competition. Um, 
that I think it's, you know, not only great for the creators that, you know, we get attention from these, these platforms, but it's great for, uh, it's great for the consumer because you've got so many new opportunities to play these games. Uh, that like I'm I'm super stoked for Overland on Apple Arcade because of I think about like whenever I travel personally like you know normally I have my Switch with me which is great for like traditional Switch games but I don't have too many like super deep games on my iPad and like I'm like really pumped to play Overland on my iPad like on a flight or something because it like looks great on iPad it runs great on iPad and like that's just like one of many ways people can just play so many cool indie games nowadays it's 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 so awesome i agree completely yeah and and like there's a uh there's ways that these different platforms offer new audiences to uh creators as well where uh people who might never pick up a keyboard or mouse might pick up a switch or they might pick up their ipad or they might might pick up a dualshock uh, stuff like that every single platform has they're like special thing, which is really cool. Like, you know, on one hand, this is like the closest gaming has ever been to like parody. Like this is not like, you know, the Super Nintendo version looks worse than the Genesis version. Like we're, we're beyond that, but we're actually like, this is the most varied as well. Um, because like, you've got things like Stadia where you don't need a console. You don't, you know, all you need is your internet connection and a, and a controller and you're good to go. And like the entry point, like the, the cost of entry to that, as long as you've got a decent internet connection can bring in so many new people who previously, you know, couldn't afford uh, a home gaming console. Um, and then you've got, you know, the thing you, you think about the switch, which like, you think about the portability of it, which is obviously great. Um, and this is kind of changing a little bit with the switch Lite, but like with the regular switch, you're getting a console that ships with two controllers automatically, technically. Like, you know, we have it in handheld one, that's one handheld mode, that's one controller. But then, you know, take the two Joy-Cons off, separate them, you've got two controllers. Every single console has their neat little factor, and it's it's so cool to see them not being so samey anymore. I, I really, I really, really like that, yeah. There was a little bit of backlash recently against the Switch Lite, I believe, because... People, I, I, I think Switch owners were hoping to see something that they could also buy when maybe they were missing the point where now a whole, I mean, honestly, probably a whole new generation of young people can enjoy a Switch Lite instead. Yeah, uh, and you know, the Switch Lite is not for someone who already owns a Switch. You're exactly right. Like, it's, it is $100 cheaper, and with that, you get sacrifices. And I think, you know... The 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 only real thing that I think is surprising is the fact that it doesn't have TV out. Um, but other than that, the Switch Lite makes total sense to me, and it's it's a great like second Switch for your family. Um, you know, if if you've got you know dad who likes to play video games, uh, but you know his son or daughter always wants to you know all have a turn at the Switch, this is that product. And I think that it's I think the Switch Lite is is genius, frankly. Um, if, if it wasn't for the fact that I already own a switch, I would probably choose the switch Lite over the regular switch, uh, because I like the size of it. I like the colors of it. I like the real D pad of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, you know, 
maybe I'll change my tune if they release some real D-pad Joy-Cons, but um, yeah, the Switch Lite is, is awesome. I, you know, <laughs> controversial statement, but I think the Switch Lite is going to be the best PlayStation Vita ever released. <laughs> <laughs> the Vita means life, even if it's no longer with <laughs> Vita Sony. does mean life. <laughs> well, Harris, if we can circle back around on one thing you mentioned, uh, it sounded like there is more enthusiasm now from partners trying to find independent creators and for creators trying to find uh, partners. And Finji kind of straddles that line themselves in that you make your own games. Uh, you have your project Overland. And you also work with other developers in bringing their games to completion. And one of them is uh, Wilmot's Warehouse. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Wilmot's Warehouse is, is a super, super awesome game. I I say it's secretly, but not so secretly, Finji's best game. Like, Wilmot's Warehouse is so, so good. Uh, and that's by uh, Ricky Haggett and Richard Hogg, uh, two of the minds who uh, who made a little game called Hohokum uh, near the PS4 launch, are now uh, working with us to make Wilmot's Warehouse. And the game started off as a you know proof of concept, kind of this idea uh, that, that one of the Richards had uh, that was essentially, you know, they, they worked in a warehouse and they wanted to turn that into a game. So they built this little project, you know, on, on a very short uh, time span and they released it as a Humble Bundle original. So that came to uh, Humble Bundle's uh, Trove uh, category, which is if you subscribe to Humble Monthly, you get access to the Trove, which is this catalog of like cool little games as well as some like big ones that you can access all the time for free with your subscription. Uh, and that was one of the bonus original games that came with that. Um, and in part of the development process, you know, Adam and Becca got a hold of it, and they saw potential in Wilmot's Warehouse to be this game that they really wanted the world to experience. Uh, and so that's really part of Finji's mission is that, you know, Finji isn't the game studio publisher that is looking to maximize revenue on a game or you know use search engine optimization terms to figure out what it is players like uh finji really just wants to get weird projects out into the world that otherwise wouldn't be experienced and that is would be like a shame to go unnoticed and that is exactly what wilmot's warehouse is like wilmot's warehouse i call it finji's best game because like, it's this weird thing that you don't see. Like, Wilmot's Warehouse, there's there's this concept I, like, talk about a lot on Twitter um, that Wilmot's Warehouse really reminds me of, and that's something called Weird Nintendo. Uh, and Wilmot's Warehouse feels like, you know, like, WarioWare, uh, uh, what's it, uh, Rhythm Heaven, Rusty's like Real Deal Baseball. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it's games that, you know, come from this big, big studio that feel really small and weird, and that's what, what Wilmot's Warehouse is. And on the surface, Wilmot's Warehouse like doesn't look weird at all. Like it's this you know really simple puzzle game about uh, a square little dude with a face who goes around a warehouse and pushes blocks around and sorts inventory. Uh, but then like you get into the story, and like the game takes place in like 1984 Britain, and Wilmot has a boss who's a jerk, and like there's like this like whole narrative in the game uh, that we don't really acknowledge because it's not super part of the you know face value marketing but it's fascinating um and yeah i am you know we've, we've got the two launches this year overland 
uh, in the fall. Wilmot's will be before that. Um, and I am like so pumped to see how people respond to Wilmot's. It's like we, we show it at PAX and people just like get locked into it. Like we only ever have one demo station for it. And it'll take a bit for someone to warm up to it and like sit down and play because it looks like a very intimidating game from the sidelines. But then they sit down and play it, and we've had people like l- like look up after playing and realize their family's gone, and they have to like scour the pack show floor to find them again because the game just like locks you in. Yeah, I'm I'm so stoked for Wilmots. It is it is going to be really really good. What you've described up until now uh, with regards to Finji's mission statement that kind of feels like like the what and the why is there like a, a how to it like it, uh the the wilmot's warehouse uh, story sounds very personal like the the heads of the company took an interest in this game yeah that that's that's really how a lot of finji game projects get going uh is that um it's it's a game yeah it's uh adam you know is is big in the indie game industry he worked on he made Cannabalt, the first ever he, he doesn't like to say first ever, but it, the original we'll say endless runner. Um, and then also he did work on Cave Story and Fez and this and that. So he's built up his reputation uh, as a as a collaborator in the indie space. And oftentimes, you know, people will come to the Saltzmans and say, hey, here's a little project I'm working on. I just want to get your feedback, this and that. And so many times the Saltzmans will get so invested in providing feedback that it just gets to the point where they say, we want to help you with this game to the fullest extent. Let's let's get it out there together. Um, that's Similar things happen with Night in the Woods. Uh, similar things happen with Tunic. Um, it's, it's really, you know, there's a lot of different criteria that Finji has whenever it comes to choosing a game they will publish. There's like rules that uh, we have to go through. Uh, for instance, one of them is uh, the game has to be described using the word cozy. Uh, the game has to be able to, you have to be able to easily uh, assume what the gameplay is from any given screenshot at any given moment. Um, another one is like uh, Adam's mom has to be able to uh enjoy playing the game uh no violence becca has to be able to play the game in front of her children a lot of different you know aspects like that form a a finji game um and yeah wilmot's is just that to a t uh you know all those different things clicked into place and and we latched onto wilmot's that's awesome. Those rules, I I had no idea there was like the kind of that those guidelines or that credo to uh, the curation process. Yeah, we we keep them secret because they're not you know they're not so we don't, hard we don't have rules. to cut them here though, right? <laughs> yeah, no, you can you can keep them here. You can you can keep them in the podcast. Um, but it's it's more that like we don't we're not gonna like put up a FAQ page on a website that says don't bother us if you don't fit these criteria. Um, but it's more that like, that's how it always happens to be. Uh, for instance, like, you know, Finji, Adam developed and Finji published a game, uh, called Capsule, which takes place inside of a fictional submarine type, uh, uh, vessel, uh, where you, the, the only interface of the game is, is via a radar. 
And that game is incredibly scary from the sound design. It's, you know, the game centers around like maintaining oxygen levels and, you know, dangerous creatures that you can't see, but you can hear. And your only indication of them is through this radar. Um, And like, you know, that game, I would call something that's not a typically fingy game, but it's it like ticks enough boxes that it that it's something that they felt good about making and putting out there. Um, so, th- you know, it's not like every one of those criteria, uh, ensures that, you know, we're going to publish your game, but it's more that like, if you have these things, we can see that we would get along. You know what I mean? If we can shift gears again a little bit here, uh, I wanted to ask just, I guess, some questions about you and how you kind of navigate through the gaming culture because oh boy. at the most recent PAX, yeah, uh, there was a, an event that you, uh, were, very involved with called the Great Packs Bake Off. And I was just wondering if you could uh, take me behind the scenes of that a little bit, like what inspired it and, and how did you get involved? The Great Packs Bake Off, uh, it sort of fell into my lap, um, but it also, like, it was a good lap to fall into because, like, I love cooking shows. Um, like, me and my girlfriend will spend hours just, like, watching, like, Chopped Junior and, like, MasterChef and, like, all these different cooking shows uh, because, like, we can't cook, but whenever we watch these shows, all of a sudden we're, like, experts and we're yelling at the TV, like, oh, why are you using the heavy cream on this? You should be using half and half. And, like, just, like, screaming at our TV, even though we don't know any of this stuff, but, like, all of a sudden it feels like we're experts. And so we, I wanted to turn that feeling into a PAX panel. Um, and I got the opportunity to whenever Becca, um, she had this idea for something called uh, Overcooked Live. And she wanted to work uh, with the, the over, that's the name of the game, right? Overcooked, the, the co-op? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. So she, she wanted to 17. work with the devs of Overcooked to basically make this Overcooked sanctioned event that was a cooking competition that involved like switching and like one person would be cooking and one person would be gaming. Um, and then we would like, you know, like throw obstacles at him and things like that. Um, but you know, naturally with, with Becca being a CEO of a major media company, she didn't have time to organize (laughs) such a thing. So she, one day she comes to me and she says, Hey, I have this idea. It's called overcooked live. Let's turn it into a panel. I was like, okay, you know, I'll I'll work on it, this and that, it, but but we we decided to do this so close to PAX that we couldn't, you know, uh, get the overcooked thing going. So I said, okay, well, what if we made it a parody of the Great British Bake Off? And she, you know, she I think it was actually her idea first to make it easy bake ovens. She was like. I want to do something that's, you know, it's it's also like, you know, cooking as fast as you can and as safe as you can in front of a live audience. Easy Bake Ovens, that's your answer. Um, and she came up with this Easy Bake Oven idea working with uh, musical artist Dose One, who does music for games like Gang Beasts and Samurai Gun. Uh, he does a lot of really great uh, music for games. And so they, they kind of put their brains together and said, okay, Easy Bake Ovens, I said... Let's make it like the British Bake Off. Um, And then so we simply just submitted a panel called the Great uh, Great Packs Bake Off. 
and then we forgot about it. And then, like, six weeks later, there's an email in my inbox that says, hey, we selected your panel. It's time for the great tax bake-off. And I was like, <laughs> good, oh, good. crap, we have nothing. Like, this, oh, I forgot we did this. Oh, no. And so we just started scrambling to get guests. Um, and, yeah, we ended up with a great crew. Uh, we had Felix Kramer, uh, who's our producer on Tunic and who produces, like, every indie game you've ever played. Uh, we had Gabe McGill, who worked on Firewatch. Uh, then we had Casey Malone, uh, who, you know, does, uh, I believe, works on a Marvel game out in L.A. And then, of course, Abby Russell from Giant Bomb uh, came by, who is friends with us. Abby, Abby loves Finji games. And, yeah, essentially, we had this, like, whole complex television show, like, set up that we, like, I came up with the weeks leading up to PAX. And then, so we're in Boston. The show is literally the next day. And I come to, and Becca was like, okay, I handed the show off to you. What do you have for me? And I basically broke down how I wanted the show to go. And Becca explained to me that there was no way we could fit all these crazy ideas I had in one hour. (laughs) Like there was, (laughs) there was like, uh, sabotages and like some kind of, um, like, what at one point you had to like there were i had the idea of you had to do three different pastries in one hour which impossible but i like i like did the math and i was like if we don't miss a single beat we could do three cupcakes in one hour uh which i was crazy for that but like one of them was that you had to do a sonic the hedgehog cupcake but one of the contestants couldn't use blue icing um and then there was another point where like one of the contestants had to crush up goldfish crackers and sprinkle it on a cupcake um and we we just tossed all that out the window we said let's simplify it let's do different prompts for every person but it's just one baked good at the end and that was like the 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 great packs bake off that you see on that stream looks like it went really well but it came together like literally 25 minutes before the actual show um yeah we went to target and we completely bought out their entire like pastry area we the the mixture that they use during the bake-off is not actually easy bake mix but it's like this like gross um no it's like this gross oven or i'm sorry microwave mug mix so it's like cake mix that you're supposed to pour in a coffee mug with water and then just like rises in the microwave and it tastes terrible in the microwave. So it's going to taste even terrible, more terrible when it's like being cooked by a light bulb. But yeah, it, it ended up being this like hilarious, amazing, like simulated trash fire. Um, and like, I really have to thank like, you know, all the contestants were hilarious. Like Gabe was like drinking Mountain Dew Code Red and taking shots of it. And like, uh, you know, Abby was doing really good improv and like all of our judges who we got back re- uh, pr- promo time. We're doing this again at PAX West um, and we got the same judges, which I'm so thankful for. Uh, like the oh God, I'm like, I'm just rambling here at this point. But I like, think we got the contestants, but who, real fast, who are the judges for the show? So the judges are uh, Becca Saltzman, um, my boss. Um, and then we have Gwen Frey, uh, who's an artist. I'll, I'll need to look up the name of Gwen's game uh, real quick. It's it's a lovely looking uh, puzzle platformer. 
Um, and then we also have uh, Chris Slight, who works at um, XSplit, and uh, as well as Meow Wolf, which is a cool art installation in uh, in New Mexico. Um, yeah, yeah, Meow Wolf was great. Yeah, yeah. So Chris does uh, a lot of organizational stuff at Meow Wolf. He's he's a hilarious, hilarious British man. Um, and so that's like one of the rules I want to set up for the uh, Bake Off going forward is that if we can't ever get Chris uh, to be a judge, we have to get some British man uh, because that is like pure British Bake Off like requirement. Um, okay, and Gwyn's game is called Kine, K-I-N-E. It is a, a really, really cool uh, puzzle platformer. Um, anywho, yeah. So uh, doing that again uh, at West. Um, our uh, contestant lineup is is in the process of being built right now. Uh, but so far we have uh, Victoria Tran from Kit Fox, uh, community manager at Kit Fox. And then we also have Marlo Dobb, who uh, is an artist working on Dicey Dungeon. Um, and also famous for making like the viral Waluigi board, uh, that you might've seen on Twitter. Um, and we have two unannounced guests that we're like locking in for sure. Uh, but if we get them, it's going to be a real good time. Yeah. Bake Off is, is so good. I'm hoping to get a prize of some kind this year and also make some even more fun, uh, multiplayer game challenges that the uh, contestants left to compete in. So I am, I'm really looking forward to it. It is, it is such a good time. Now, what do you think drives this? Uh, I guess performing spirit. I mean, between it, it really, it seems to fall with the game makers and the influencers and the press. Like everyone comes together for this from like all sides of the equation. I mean, you see it in the Bake Off and then in in the Pax Rumble as well. It was, it was, it was shocking to me that. The Bake Off, it was a sold-out crowd at the Bake Off. Like, they were turning people away at the PAX doors because we filled up the entire theater. And that blew my mind. And I think what it is is, like, you know, game creators and people who work in games, like, in the end, we... I, I don't consider myself an artist by any means. Like, I can't draw, I can't do this and that, but we all want to, like, express ourselves in a way that other people really enjoy. Um, and I think like this is just like another form of that. Um, you see a lot of game developers, like as you said, like really interested in professional wrestling. And I think it's because like, you know, just like we appreciate how like a game is made, we can also appreciate how wrestling is like orchestrated. Um, and like you see like a lot of like game developers or like uh, games critics, like, you know, like the McElroy brothers, they love podcasting but they also love the bachelor and it's like that i I don't think they watch it because they genuinely care about these people's like experiences but more because they are able to like turn their brain off and like realize what went into making such a production um and then you know they enjoy just like you know digesting that and things like that and so i think like when given the stage and when given the opportunity to like do these fantastic things these game creators will like take what they know about making one type of entertainment and try to turn it into another um and yeah that's that's a great question um like i i have a super great time um 
you know, constructing that bake off and, you know, making trailers for it and getting people hyped for it. And also at the same time, like, yeah, being in the League of Heels, I was on stage for, I think, less than 20 seconds because I got knocked out immediately. But just like seeing everyone backstage and they were all happy to like be part of this weird theater performance um, really just goes to show that like they just like love expressing themselves in a way that's different from their nine to five. It's really funny to me that like the game is so extraneous to the whole experience of the PAX Rumble, but like there also are a handful of people who really know how WrestleMania 2000 works and (laughs) can like do all the counters and know the perfect way to knock someone out of the ring. No, you're exactly right. That that was my major downfall is that all the people who didn't know how to play were already knocked out by the time I got a chair. So the second I get in the ring, um, I think it was Aaron Trites immediately just punches my wrestler in the face and I'm on the ground like knocked out immediately. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely like uh, professional wrestling, the, the real thing, quote unquote real, is not about the actual wrestling like that is very important but the main reason why at least you know our segment of the universe watches wrestling is for these dumb storylines and these dumb fake realities they're making um that's why i you know i went to the rumble for years and years before i was a part of it not because i care about wrestlemania 2000 like if they wanted if if the show was about the game, they would have picked a better game. <laughs> like, um, we played uh, Gang Beasts during the Bake Off, and that elicited way more of a crowd reaction than I've ever heard WrestleMania 2000 elicit. So yeah, it's <laughs> way more about these dumb theatrics and, and things of that nature. There is, you, of course, you are the host and you're organizing the, the Great Packs Bake Off, but there was a more recent event uh, where you were a guest. You were a guest... Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Giant Bomb. I assume you are a big fan as well. And you were on the couch for the E3 shows this year at Giant Bomb. And I'm really, really dying to know what that was like. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was my my second appearance on the Giant Bomb couch. Uh, first one being uh, last year um, where we get in. So first of all, I'll, I'll preface this by talking about last year's experience. Uh, we get into the the hotel where they they shoot this and it's it's basically two hotel uh i wouldn't even call them ballrooms it was just like these like side auxiliary rooms the kind you would get like a you know time uh, timeshare presentation in um and half of it is dedicated to this green room that you see in between uh, all the segments where they have like free beer and like rollers coming in and out the whole time dropping off free booze and they have like these like shitty little snacks that no one likes and they know no one likes them but they have to buy it because of the hotel so we're we're hanging out in there it's a good time um they have that live camera set up and i'm like going up and like pretending to like pick my teeth in it or whatever um and then we get pulled in for our interview segment uh jan ochoa goes around everyone with a clipboard he says hey what's your name and how do you spell it and i told him my name is harris foster H-A-R-R-I-S-F-O-S-T-E-R. He's like, cool, great, awesome. So we get all situated in our chairs for the first interview, and I spend an hour in that seat talking to Jeff, um, and then I come out of the interview, and I look at my phone, and I just get screenshot after screenshot of my friends who are watching who show me that they spelled my name wrong on the lower third of the screen, despite the fact that I told Jan my name. (laughs) 
And <laughs> and rather than being mad at him, I think this is the funniest thing in the world because I I get a bunch of people following me who are like, hey, I didn't, I came here from Giant Bomb, but I think this is the right guy. I don't know. I'm looking for Harris Forrest. I don't know who this is, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so from then on, like I, for weeks, people start calling me Harris Forrest. Um, there was one guy like while I was at E3, I was like walking to an appointment and this guy stops me and goes, Hey, you were on TV last night. You're, you're Forrest, right? <laughs> and I was, I was like, no, no. I mean, yes, I guess. Um, so I, I get on. So fa- fast forward a year later to, to this year. And we we get asked to be on the show again. Apparently, people loved us last year uh, because we didn't talk about video games at all, and we just goofed off for an hour. And uh, knowing Giant Bomb, pretty well. Yeah, that's that's what Giant Bomb's all about. So uh, yeah, so we get asked to be on again, and I I walk in to uh, into the green room, and Jan looks at me. He's like, "Hey, I'm so sorry for spelling your name wrong last year." Like, that was my bad. Like, I am blah, blah, blah. I'm so, so sorry. I was like, Jan, it's okay. I want you to do it again. <laughs> and and he, he says, what? what? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's become such an inside joke. It's such a good goof that I need you to, you know, just get creative with it. Do whatever you want. He's like, oh, you're, you're saddling me with a lot. Like, this could, this could go bad. I was like, I trust you. I'm a, I'm a premium member for years. Do it. He's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. And he proceeded to just do the best jokes of the entire week uh, on my name. He, you know, he called me Harris Forrest flip-flop enthusiast at one point. I think he said, or it started off with my name, like everyone's name coming up. And then mine just being insert name here, insert job here as my like title under my name or under my person. Um, And yeah, it ended up being just a, a wonderful, wonderful inside joke uh that continued uh through this year um and uh, it even so much as i don't think jeff gersman knows my actual name um i on on this year's uh giant bomb e3 couch i told a story about how i was threatened by an energy drink influencer and uh literally on day before yesterday's bombcast, <laughs> jeff was talking about energy drinks and he says over the mic I should ask Harris Forrest about this. Um, and I don't know if he was joking or not. Um, but uh, yeah, no, being on that couch was surreal, man. Like I I watched E3 at night all throughout college and uh, loved every minute of it. And yeah, to, to be a part of that was was so, so cool. And I, I it's like it's it's no no hyperbole. I think it's the my favorite thing that I do every year period just like it's just my favorite thing that i do it is so much fun i'm really glad and just so you know before i i didn't realize to be honest you had been on last year so like i watched uh your interview this year and i was like oh no they got his name wrong (laughs) and they got it wrong again and and like i when i was talking with you to set up the interview i was like should i even ask about the giant bomb thing maybe he's mad about it (laughs) no yeah no it is um it's a great great goof um because it's it's not only limited to giant bomb it's like you know i have a pretty in my opinion i have a pretty easy name right harris foster sure they're both last names but that's my name right pretty common names but like so many times in my life 
people spell my name wrong. And so to have it happen on, you know, the thing I was most excited about on the grandest scale of audience I've ever had is really just the most classic thing to happen to me. So, like, I'm so over it at this point that, like, for that to happen, it was pure comedy. It was hilarious. Um, so, yeah, like, I, you know, if you go on my Twitter right now, which is Harris Foster, um, my pinned tweet is, like, a thread of all the times my name has weirdly been spelled wrong. Well, that's, that's incredible. I, I'm, I'm glad that there was, uh, I think by leaning into it so much, you, you've really, uh, you've made it your own thing now. So, <laughs> congrats on that. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, um, you know, it's my usernames on all the game systems are just Harris Foster. I've never been good at writing custom usernames. I don't really have an online handle. Uh, so recently, whenever the PSN name change was introduced, I asked people online, I was like, hey, what should I change my PSN name to? And every single suggestion was some different misspelling of my own name. <laughs> um, like, you know, uh, Rami Ismail, who Vlambeer made, you know, like all those great indie games, uh, uh, wind up Super Crate Box, Ridiculous Fishing, all these things. He made a website that just randomly generates Harris Foster names by like some algorithm that like looks like a misspelling of my name. Uh, I think that, let me see if I know the URL for that. I'm just Googling Harris Foster name generator. I'm seeing what I get. Uh, so yeah, it, it is my own Um, and yeah, if you just hit that, you will get a randomly generated Harris Foster name. Okay. So we will have an official Harris Foster name for this interview. It is, oh wow. Hokog phone circle. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I like that. I like that. It's H O Q Q O G. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Hokog, uh, there is one final question I was hoping to ask you before, uh, we ended the, the call. Yeah. Uh, the last time you were on, we did a, a Pokemon themed question to wrap things up. And, uh, that's something I normally do with all my guests, but because you have answered the questions we we had at that time, you know, I, I needed to come up with something new. So, in the spirit of Overland, I was thinking, if you could select one Pokemon of all the Pokemon that are out there to best survive the apocalypse, which one would it be? So, like, I feel like there's a lot of Pokemon that you can have here that's, like, totally cheating, right? Like... Take, for instance, like, Jirachi, right? Like, Jirachi's whole thing is that he grants wishes, right? So, like, if I could just, like, have a Jirachi and wish the world never ended, bada-bing, bada-boom, right? So, if I'm, like, limiting myself in a way that makes things interesting and, like, keeping a survival element going, let's think. I, let me let me, let me me ask, let me get some inf- inspiration for you. What, would you. what would you pick for this? Well, uh, a Pokemon that is a renewable food source would be pretty handy. So one of the, like a grass type, which maybe like could have its own uh, like vegetables or even just like leaves, something something like that is edible that I could uh, use to uh, nourish myself without without harming the Pokemon. It would just be like, you know, snip off some hairs or whatever. That's where I'd be going. Or do you, I guess this is a question I would have for you. Would Do water Pokemon make their own water? I, I assume they have to like be hydrated and they like have like, 
a reserve that they're drawing from. They can't just like I generate think, fresh I think water. If, if, if Charmander's tail is always on fire, I think water Pokemon can make their own water. In, in that case, you really got to look to a, a water type then, I think, because mm-hmm. like water mm-hmm. has to be incredibly valuable yeah. in this uh, doomsday future. That's that's a good point. I Part of me thinks of getting an electric type Pokemon simply so they can like charge any like s- safety devices I have, like a radio or like a phone, if I wanted to like, you know, do some entertainment in the time. I'm just like scrolling through a list of Pokemon right now. That could be good though, because like water maybe makes you too much of a target, where electricity, you can just like hunker down in some apartment building somewhere and you use your pokemon to power all the appliances and stuff and just yeah stay safe get myself by like a riverbed and yeah just like build a little cabin with that pokemon that'd be that yeah i'm scrolling through here nothing's really sticking out to me very much i would probably just go with like an electric type probably like a a pikachu or if i'm like you know looking to actually like power something uh Elekid or Electabuzz would probably be up there because they seem more like utilitarian. Those guys like have jobs as far as I'm concerned. I played Pokemon Snap. Um, yeah, yeah, I would something something electric because like, you know, uh, playing Overland, uh, electric generators are a big part of the game. And when a night level comes around, it's much harder to get around without uh, visible light. Uh, so yeah, definitely, definitely electricity, uh, type. Alrighty. Awesome. Uh, that's perfect then. I, uh, I'm going to think about that some more because yeah, there, there is definitely some considerations there. Like you don't, you probably don't want to get like the evolved Pokemon. They, they eat a lot more food and stuff. So they'd be harder to keep, take care of. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm telling you. Yeah. Maybe like a, a, a Pulsal or, or Minin. Although are those, I mean, do they have to work together to be electric? I don't even know. I don't know. I, yeah, just give me the tiniest electric Pokemon. But see, if it's a tiny electric Pokemon, am I going to be, like, wearing them out by asking them to do electric things? Like, does that, like, does that tire them out? Am I a jerk for asking them to, like, you know, run my iPhone for an hour? I don't know. There's 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 a lot of ethical things that go into this. Like, you know, in, in the world of Pokemon, everyone's pretty well off in the Pokemon you know, subsist with the humans in a way that's like mutually beneficial. But if I'm like, like, what do I, what do I provide for that Pokemon? Why is, why are they helping me? You know what I mean? These are questions we tiptoe around every day when we allow Pokemon to exist as a, as a media, as a fandom. (laughs) I I think here's what we're, here's our homework. All right. We need to play Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness because that's like apocalyptic, right? Am I misremembering that? They're like, corrupted pokemon or something like yeah because like if i need to see someone write book of eli but also with pokemon and then we'll have an answer to this i have my wii right over there i can i can try and track down a copy of gale of darkness we'll we'll regroup in um in like a month and talk about our have our book reports ready in the meantime though thank you thank you so much harris for your time this has been fantastic uh if you want people to find you find finji information about either uh where can they find that info for sure yeah i uh i'm on twitter at harris foster uh finji twitter account is run by me 
as well, and that's Finjico, uh, F-I-N-J-I-C-O. Uh, we have a few games coming up this year. We have Wilmot's Warehouse, uh, unannounced date, but uh, it will be soon. Uh, and then we have uh, Overland coming to all major platforms in the fall. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's about it. We also have a Finji Discord that's really cool, uh, discord.gg slash Finji. If you want to come hang out, I'm always in there. If you want to chat, say hello, that's a good place to find me. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. And we are back from break. One more time, big thanks to Harris over at Finji. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, the games they've got coming out soon. they got Tunic coming out. Uh, for Microsoft platforms and Wilmot's Warehouse. Oh man, that's the company that makes Wilmot's Warehouse? I'm so stoked for that game. That looks awesome. There was uh, uh, Cool Ghosts, the guys from Shut Up and Sit Down, who did a, uh, an episode that had Wilmot's Warehouse in it, and I saw it, and I've been checking, trying to find it. I know it's it was a humble thing, and I know it's uh, it's not out yet, but it looks like it's going to be just fantastic and i'm sure that tells you exactly what sort of person i am that a game about organizing a warehouse looks thrilling to me (laughs) it looks pretty good to me too I, i am looking forward to when that comes out as well so you're in good company well then in that case before we sign off for this episode there is one thing i have to take care of and this might be unfamiliar for you but uh i am a big fan of magic the gathering ah i did know this about you (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh well then, uh, then I should skip that part and just explain that what I normally do is, uh, so it doesn't leak out into the rest of the podcast, I devote about a random amount of time, up to a minute, to talking about magic, so as I can just get it all out of my system, and it's called Bill's Magic Minute. Okay, okay, well, I will try not to get you further down this inevitable spiral of magic (laughs) so all i need is i'm gonna roll a d20 on my end of the line here right now okay i have 33 seconds to talk about this week's topic uh the topic this week is going to be about the mechanic protection and uh i just need you to keep time for me and to tell me to stop when it's time to stop okay uh, I will start my timer and three, two, one, go. I'm absolutely shocked that they reintroduced the mechanic protection from a color into the game of magic because it felt like it was incredibly complicated and not very rewarding for play. Even at the M20 pre-release, which I just recently attended, a lot of players were very confused about what could and could not be covered by protection and me explaining it did not seem to really help. I had to fall back on the classic DET acronym, Damage, Enchantments, Blocking, and uh, Targeting. But even that doesn't really fully encapsulate all the different corner cases that can come up. And I worry that there was no real reason to get into that rabbit hole without... uh, Okay. That's that's your that's your that's definitely more than thirty three seconds. I let that go for about ten seconds longer because I started thinking. You're talking like circles of protection. Uh, so I'm talking about how uh, cards, the creatures, can have an ability like protection from red, and what does that mean? Yeah, uh, I th- the only thing that I think of, like I mentioned, circles of protection. 
but yeah, if you're saying protection from red, that covers that's a huge umbrella. Uh, how are you supposed to? Is it damage from monsters? Is it from instance? Is it, I guess, what you said, det? But that's still that's huge. That seems like that would be really unbalanced. I'd really like to talk about it more, but I mean, time is done. <laughs> okay, so now we're getting into Cliff's magic minute when he carefully <laughs> considers what Bill was talking about with magic <laughs> and tries to make sense of it. <laughs> okay, well that's that's it. So we'd better not do that because uh, you could save that for your uh, for all your other magic related podcasts. Sometimes, some other time, we'll have a full magic podcast. Until then, though, uh, I think that brings this episode of So Many Bits to a close. Uh, Cliff, thank you for coming back on. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your uh, vacation here to join me. Uh, It's my pleasure, Bill, and congratulations again on 200 episodes. If you want people to find you anywhere, either like electronically or in person, uh, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Mr. Cliffo, and uh, I sometimes post there, and I more often than not do not post there. Uh, (laughs) I'm also a part of a group called Moist Theater, and we perform improv in Toronto on a monthly basis at the Comedy Bar. So you can check us out on the Comedy Bar's website. Awesome. And as for us, uh, we can be reached by email at somanybitspodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at So Many Bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate and review or download from Simplecast, from SoundCloud, or for a stream on Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. Wednesdays, usually for Magic the Gathering Online or MTG Arena. Thursdays for a variety of different games. Recently, I've played, uh, gosh, Spider-Man, Transistor, Trauma Team, Griftlands. You know, a ton of different titles across... A lot of different genres. Uh, if you want to find out more podcasts that are fun like mine, you can go to nerdlogs.com. So many bits is there, plus a bunch of other great ones. And last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great summer. See, okay. the, the, the bit here also is I say have a great summer regardless of what time of year it is. <laughs> okay, that's hilarious. Uh, cool. <laughs>